Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And this week, we're going to tell you stories of North Dakota. Yes, we are. So, I'm excited about mine, but Beth, you have the paranormal, which also means you have the beverage. So, what do we have? Okay, this looks I'm so good. I know. I'm so excited. Before you get to try it, though, I'm going to tell you a little bit of history behind it. Oh, uh, hurry. Okay. So back in the 1950s, this was created. There was like a big oil boom in North Dakota at the time. Uh-huh. There was a bar in Bismarck called the Blue Blazer Lounge, where a lot of the oil men, not oily men. Well, they could have been oily. But <laughs> I <mean they> oily. <laughs> <laughs> the oil working men would go and kind of like hang out after they worked. So there's two guys, Wendell Smith and James Curran, who were oil men mm-hmm. or oily. I don't know. <laughs> but they were regulars at the Blue Blazer Lounge. And one night they decided they were really sick and tired of their basic whiskey drinks. Gotcha. Which I don't blame them. Whiskey's <laughs> disgusting. So they tell the bartender to whip them up something totally different. And that's what we have here. Now, this is now called the Smith and Kearns. But remember that their names are Wendell Smith and James Curran. But they say it turns to Smith and Kearns because bars are usually really loud. And so they misunderstood. Everybody just kept misunderstanding. And so it just became (laughs) really easy to say Smith and Kearns. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So let's take a drink. All right. Cheers, mom. All right. Here it goes. A little different than a whiskey, huh? Oh, that is like soda fountain like let's go get malt or something i know <laughs> there's no alcohol in this kind of reminds me of the liquid web from last week from the halloween episode it's got that creaminess to it because this too has cream in it and it's got the bubbles but i added club soda so i'll okay so this is what it is so nowadays it's been changed to coffee liqueur oh. um which i didn't do i did cream de cocoa de coco <laughs> cream de coco Cream de cacao. Cacao? <laughs> cacao, cacao. Okay, so two ounces of cream de cacao. <laughs> and then it's two ounces of cream. Oh, real cream? Yes. No and then you just like put it. that in a shaker with ice, mm-hmm. shake it all up, pour it in a glass, and then top the glass with club soda. Wow. So really the only alcohol. There really isn't much alcohol in there. So unfortunately. The cream de cacao is the The cacao is the only <laughs> alcohol in there. <laughs> but nowadays people ask, you know, with the white Russian becoming really famous over time, mm-hmm. they changed the cacao to coffee liqueur. Which okay. I bet is really good too. I'm telling you, mine is already halfway gone because. But it I is wonder so how easy it tastes with the cream de cacao and <laughs> like Kahlua in there. I wonder if that tastes good. I bet we it should does. totally totally make try. some changes. Do you have, some? yeah, of course I have Kahlua upstairs <laughs> in the fridge. Okay. <laughs> I have two toddlers. How do you think I get through with my morning coffee? I thought that that's a joke. That's a joke, friends. I do not put Kahlua in my coffee. No, she drinks the peanut butter. (laughs) Screwball is what she drinks. That's at night. 
when the husband comes home and I say, they're yours. <laughs> okay. But it adds like the club soda adds a really good fizz to it. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And Perfect. It's really tasty. It's like everything I like. Cream, fizz. I know. It's really tasty. And cacao. And cacao. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mom, tell me a true crime story. Okay. Now I'll have to tell you that I did have to dig a little bit for true crime that you might not have heard about or from North Dakota. Okay. So well, that's a good thing. No, that's good. I like <laughs> so that we choose things that aren't, you know, safe out there. place to live, obviously. Yeah. So I did find this one only because, you know, how I'm attracted to ones that are a little weird. <laughs> this is an unsolved murder mystery. Cool. But with a twist because we know who the murderer was, although he was never convicted of the crimes, but we don't know who the victims are. Okay. Are you interested yet? Cacao! (laughs) Have you ever heard of Eugene Butler? Mm -mm. I don't think so. Why are you laughing? (laughs) Cacao! Cacao! Okay. Goes along with this. He was quite an odd character. <laughs> he was a little cuckoo. <laughs> so Butler homesteaded his land in 1882 in what is now a quiet little farm town named Niagara, North Dakota, home to about 50 residents. Oh boy! And it's a little little town. It's a little town. <laughs> oh, st- historical accounts claim he was a recluse, never married, and stayed to himself on his farm. As he got older, he got, well, a little bit more. Cuckoo, cuckoo. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say that. That's mean. You got to leave a little bit more odd. Okay. Okay. You can't find a picture of this man anywhere. What? Can't find a picture of him. He refused to have his picture taken, stating that it would steal his soul and he would die. Oh, he's one of those. So you will not find a picture of him. Sorry. That's odd. He also grew more and more paranoid as he got older. He would walk around on his land through the night searching for trespassers or a burglar. Oh, because one of the other 49 people (laughs) might. Well, convinced that people were out to get him and his money. He did hide (sighs) some money in his house. His oddities became worse and he started scaring the townspeople because at night, this reminds me of like the Headless Horseman or something, because at night he would get on his horse and ride in the middle of the night through the town screaming that he was being followed. Ah, I'm being followed. I'm being followed as he's riding his what? horse full charge through the town from his farm. So, oh, boy. <laughs> this happened several times. Like, a lot. So in Did 19- he really think he was being followed or is this just like an act? No, no. He was. He really thought he was being yeah. followed. So oh, in really 1906, sad. Butler was admitted to the North Dakota State Hospital due to him being considered a public nuisance. <laughs> Not because he might have a problem, but because he was a public <laughs> nuisance. According to Dr. W.M. Hotchkiss, the Salem superintendent, Butler was no trouble at the hospital. He did, however, claim that invisible figures were chasing after him. Oh, so he was very ill. But aside from his hallucinations and not wanting to be photographed, Butler showed no homicidal tendencies. In fact, in the grand... Homicidal? Homicidal? Homicidal. 
You said homicidal. I know. I would be like BTK. Oh, you did that on purpose? <laughs> Cacao. <laughs> you know what? I have actually heard it now more and more. Not home, not homicidal like BTK said, but I've heard it more and more with a more. Homicidal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's weird. I don't like that, though. I don't either, but I have caught it a few times. I'm now, so you're just trying it out? I am now actually, you know how I love to binge. I am such a bad bitch. She's terrible. That's because I'm OCD. I recommended the haunting at Bly Manor and the woman is just sad and watched it. She can't stop. I think I have one episode left and I started watching it yesterday. One day. <laughs> oh, my oh my gosh. I'm just OCD. Anyway, I love oh being OCD. I love Monk. Yes, you do. <laughs> Talking about OCD. <laughs> I have restarted watching Monk. Did he, <laughs> does he call it homicidal? And um, one of the the detectives said, "Not, not, not homicidal like BTK Homic- did, but it wasn't. It's a homicide. It's a homicide. It was weird. Anyway, I caught it in Monk. <laughs> so moving on. <laughs> so Butler was no trouble at the hospital. Okay." In fact, in the Grand Forks Daily Herald, July 3rd, 1915, and this is really cool because you can actually pull these old newspapers up. I love that. And then see the clippings that are kind of highlighted on this. So cool. The doctor describes Butler as small, very gallant, and fond of attending hospital dances. (laughs) Okay. I guess they had. This hospital, Asylum Island, was a little different than the one you were telling our patrons about where they did lobotomies. Yeah, because they have one, dances. They, they have I've never weekly dances. Good for them, I guess. But he even fell head over heels in love with one of the lady physicians, becoming Aww. completely devoted to her. The doctor explained in the article that Butler had become delusional. Exhibiting become a delusional? Or? Even more so. Oh, no. Exhibiting delusions of grandeur and visions of an exalted character. Hmm. Butler spent seven years in the hospital. Oh, geez. And That's a aw- lot of dances. <laughs> it was. And passed away in the asylum in 1913. Mm. His remains were buried in Middleport, New York by relatives. So he did have some family that... Uh-huh. They were in New York, though. Okay. So, all right. The end. The end. <laughs> <laughs> this guy that sees people and <laughs> likes to go to dances. We didn't know who the people were that were chasing him. <laughs> <laughs> no. so where the does- end. <laughs> So where does the mystery come in? Yes, mom. Where does the mystery come in? (laughs) Happened two years after Butler's death. His land had been divided among his relatives and they hired workmen to excavate the house in an attempt to renovate it. Lo and behold, while digging a cellar under the house, six skeletons were discovered. Six? They all had two things in common. They were buried without clothing. And they all had their skulls crushed in with a sharp object. Cacao. So police initially thought that five of the skeletons belonged to two housekeepers and their children. Oh, geez. But nobody had reported family members missing. Remember, this is a small community. I was, I was just going to say, right. six people in a group of 50, 49. 
would go missing. Yeah, <laughs> nobody knew report, or yeah. reported anybody missing. Then police suggested that the remains belonged to men, one being 15 to 18 years old, being the youngest. Maybe farmhands that Butler had hired as they passed through town mm. looking for work. In his paranoid state, he might have thought that the men were trying to steal his money. or because right, he was super paranoid. Or threaten him in some way. Mm. Because police had found no clothing, no buttons, no shoes, etc., they assumed that Butler had probably burned the clothes to hide any kind of identity. So then the question is... Do you is, think he was that with it that he even knew? That's a question, isn't it? I mean, it, 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 it contradicts itself. So then the question is, how did Butler manage to put the bodies under the house? Yeah. There is no... It's, it's a floor. There is no was cellar. Was it a floor, though, when it, he lived there? Yeah. Because they were when they were excavating and renovating mm-hmm. is when the family wanted a cellar dug. There was no cellar before that. So was he just pulling up floorboards and then rebuilding his floor every time? Before you start imagining these things, let me tell you. <laughs> he built a trap door by removing three stones from the foundation. He would dump the bodies down the hole. Then he'd use dirt and clay subsoil to cover up the bodies. Two of the remains showed evidence of broken legs. And it was surmised that Butler probably broke their legs after he, them in the he, he killed them in order for them to fit in the hole because they were oh my taller. Gosh! So he had to have had some conscience of what he was doing, conscience of what he was doing, and he conscious killed, and conscious, and he killed them all the same way with a sharp, blunt object. So this is all Unless extremely horrible. Yeah, that's crazy. But I'm going to add to that. According to the June 26th. 1915 article in the weekly alert as news of the ghastly finds spread hundreds in automobiles or other conveyances arrived on the scene so hundreds of people came because this was again an abnormality to have skeletons, town is really hopping. skeletons found yeah you know it was the same thing with the uh, murder on the the one on the railroad track where yes the in Villisca in Villisca where people all showed up right? oh it it happens in so many of these crime stories i read just okay so bizarre to me so not only did they arrive but as they departed most of them had with them a piece of a skeleton see i read this everywhere and it's so crazy to me yeah it's like a trophy of sorts it's like a memento proving that they had been to the scene of this horrible sure. murder sure i know we've talked about it before but there was no social media or, you know, nowadays our memento is all these social media posts, crime scenes and all that kind of stuff. This was kind of their way. So by the end of this, there are no bones. Well, shoot. Yeah. How are they going to? There's nothing. There are no clothes. All the bones are gone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Since Butler was already dead and could not be questioned about the murders, police had very little to go on. Two of the theories that floated around as to who the remains were and as to what Butler's motives were is the remains were the housekeepers and maybe their children. Butler was heard on several occasions to complain about the cost of having housekeepers. Hmm. He was kind of a stingy man, even though he was very wealthy. The remains were those of farmhands. Butler was very leery of people, as we talked about, and thought that they were all after his money. Perhaps the voices he heard told him that the farmhands wanted to rob him. This latter... Or were there voices? Did he just make up the voices? 
Right. Or did or did, or did one, there become or, voices because he started to feel so guilty about all these people he's killing? Exactly. Or did one or two of them actually really threaten him? And then he just thought everybody was threatening him. He just become paranoid. Or because were all if these I were voices ever, from the dead that he had yeah. killed. And like, if I already ever become a serial killer, this is why I could never become a murderer. Is because I would feel super, super guilty. And you'd ride your horse through town going, they're following me. They're following me. Exactly. Cacao, cacao. <laughs> <laughs> but I would be super, super paranoid. And then he's just keeps doing it so now he's becoming cacao and he's yeah i mean we, he obviously didn't have his cookies in his jar i was just to gonna say with, so. cacao cookies in his jar <laughs> <No>. <laughs> his cacao cookies are loose <laughs> so this latter theory about the farmhands led to an investigation into the whereabouts of a john Urbanski. His brother Leo Urbanski, a well-to-do farmer from Minnesota, requested an inquiry due to the last letter he had received from his brother. According to the July 15th, 1915 Grand Forks Her Daily Herald, <laughs> they had really long names for their newspapers. In the letter John wrote to his brother, he mentioned that he was working for a bachelor near Niagara, North Dakota. Ooh. The letter had been mailed from Lemoore. The town butler would go for his business. Hmm. So that was the last but, Leo. But then you can also kind of narrow it down because it is such a small town. I mean, they only had, only had to really interview 49 people, right? Well, it might have been a little bigger at the time and it might have been more spread out at the time. Yeah, all because, these different farms and stuff. Yeah. In that, yeah. Okay. So Scrap that. <laughs> That was the last Leo had heard from his brother. Other than Leo, no one else has come forward to report a missing person, ever. So to this day, no case file has been found concerning the remains. No one seems to have a clue whether the files were lost, whether they were damaged, or maybe the files never even existed. You said eight skeletons were found? Six. That's still a lot. It is. So were there files even made because all the skeletons were gone? I, that is I mean, just I such a know. bizarre story. I, uh, so there's no files, okay? There's no bones. There's nothing right now to even indicate. And in fact, the house has been torn down and now there's a like a shed, a storage shed over it that a family has built. But did they like excavate some more of the land to try to look if there were more bodies? Uh, probably, but I don't that they found it was all underneath that house there bummer this is a quote the probability is high we would be able to extract dna because the techniques are dramatically improved now i mean dna from a skeleton right now oh which is well, yeah. amazing said university of north dakota anthropology professor dr phoebe stubblefield with that it is probably that an idea of the victims could be made. Of course, a DNA match would have to exist first. <laughs> this could be made through someone searching for a lost relative, like we've talked before, right. or even through people researching their ancestry. Maybe there would even be a match on a missing person's database. But you still have to have a bone to extract the DNA evidence So, from. listeners, do you have a bone floating around your house that your family's been talking about came from a crime scene oh. in North Dakota? Right now, the whereabouts of the bones are totally unknown. Of all the but bones. there's so many bones. 
So I'm going to throw this out to our listeners. If your family or perhaps you know of another family that may have bones floating around your house, a bone from this case (laughs) that may have been handed down through the generations (laughs) along with the story. Sitting on your mantle. (laughs) Or up in the, you know, hey, yeah, old grandma used to keep that finger bone, remember (laughs) that? I don't know. Grandma. (laughs) Maybe, just maybe, if you hand this in, it could be you who helped solve at least a piece of this hundred-year-old mystery. It's pretty heavy. It's a lot of pressure on you guys. (laughs) (laughs) So find that thumb bone or finger bone or or skull. It can be a complete skull. Well, their skulls were crushed in, so it wouldn't be a complete skull. It'd be fragments of skulls. It was only crushed in on one side. There's also femurs. There's also, I mean, tibias. There's big bones, small bones. Anyway, there you go. Eugene Butler. He sounds like a really, like, just a little, oh, helpless man that was a little cuckoo. (laughs) A little cuckoo, but he enjoyed dances. He did. And he was gallant and and very gentlemanly. (laughs) Once he got put so into- much so he crushed somebody's head in, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Paranormal time, mom. All right, I'm ready. So of course, websites claimed that this location it's the most is the most haunted. It's not just <laughs> the most haunted spot in the state of North Dakota, but in the entire country. How about the world? <laughs> no, not the world. Dang it! But the whole country. <laughs> That being said, after all the research I did, this place is pretty freaking creepy. This is another abandoned, dilapidated building. That always makes places a little more spooky to me. And this place is huge. But the history of this place adds majorly to the spook factor, too. I'm, of course, talking about the Sane... Sane... (laughs) Sorry. San Haven Sanatorium. (laughs) Another sanatorium. (laughs) Located far north near Dunseeth, North Dakota. This is not where they had the square dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think there was much dancing here, unfortunately. Heads up, just like the last place I covered in Utah, the old Cottonwood Canyon paper mill, this place is privately owned and closed. Okay. So don't go snooping around, y'all. One of the haunts that occurs here... I should rephrase that. One of the spirits that haunts this place is actually a paranormal investigator that fell down an elevator shaft Ew. while investigating when they shouldn't have been and died. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Was Ghost Adventures there? Yes. Jeez Louise, mom. No, I remember the I, I remember the, the, the elevator shaft, shaft thing and them yeah. talking about that. Yeah. So back when it opened in 1912, it was simply known as the State Sanatorium. And over the 80 years it was open, it had hundreds of patients. It started as a tuberculosis hospital. Mm. And over time, it converted to an asylum for the mentally ill. This sanatorium sits on the southern slope of the Turtle Mountains. And because of its location with high altitude and a drier atmosphere, it was deemed Pretty perfect for those suffering tuberculosis. Okay, yeah. So fun drinking fact. Well, I don't know if it's fun, but drinking fact. Tuberculosis is also known as... TB. (laughs) Well, yeah, unfortunately, you are right with that. But also known as consumption. (laughs) Do you know why they called it consumption? Because it consumed your lungs and your organs. Because it consumed the person from the inside out. 
It consumed their organs. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you hate it when I'm right? And yeah, anyway. So unfortunately, I read that nearly 50% of those suffering from tuberculosis at the sanatorium died from the disease until around the 1940s, which at this time, like I said, the building changed into a home for the mentally disabled until its doors were closed. Everywhere I read and every video I watched claimed the area gave off a super uneasy feeling, not just the building itself, but the whole area. Can I ask you, I'm sorry, I probably missed the date. When did the doors close permanently it was open for over 80 years a little over 80 years so the late 90s i hate math don't laugh at me like the early 90s so like i said at least during the tuberculosis stage of the building at least 50 percent of their patients died that's a lot of death a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of spirits of these sufferers are still there today. Apparitions, orbs, faces seen in windows, sudden feelings of nausea, and being touched by an unseen being are just the normal daily occurrences here at the state sanatorium. Now this place is huge. When the doors opened in 1912, it filled to capacity pretty quickly making them build on more units for the patients. Oh, jeez. There was a long wait list for patients to be admitted. Over time, all of the additions of rooms and patients, the place was overcome with overcrowding. At one point, the population of the sanatorium reached over 1,300. Oh, my goodness. With the overcrowding came lack of care. And the sanatorium became known for its terrible care and even abuse sometimes. I read that even with 1,300 patients, the staff was only like 400 employees. Jeez. And employees is not just nurses and doctors, but that's cooks and custodians and cleaners. Oh, how awful for these people. They're going through such a painful, horrendous death and then they're being abused on top of that. Or just neglected. Neglected. They need help. Yeah. Oh, here you go, mom. The doors closed in 1987. That isn't 92. Well, it said it was open for almost 80 years, so I just assumed I just added 80. So anyway, the doors (laughs) closed in 1987 and it was sold to the Turtle Mountain Band of the Chippewa tribe. Okay. The whole building, not just the doors that were closed. Yeah, not just the doors (laughs) that were closed, but the building and the land. And since then, it has been left abandoned. The land originally did belong to the Chippewa tribe, so they just kind of took it back. Okay. So before I get into the spooky haunted accounts, some by my mom's favorite, Ghost Adventures, I want to read some excerpts I found on ghostsofnorthdakota.com, where a past patient of the sanatorium wrote in. Ooh. She was 10 when she was there because she had reacted to some kind of shot they sent her there. Oh, my gosh. So, quote, it was a TB scrape. They have an instrument with several needles. They pierce the forearm and wait three days. And if you react with a red spot, then you have to have a chest X-ray to see if you have spots in your lungs. I have no idea why my mom did it to us kids. Maybe she heard it on TV that there was cases of TB and went to the doctor. After us three girls reacted, the whole school was tested as well as several other people. 
No one around here reacted, so the doctor said that us three girls may have been walking together and someone spit on the sidewalk that actually uh, had TB and we co- contracted it. So it was just those three of all... Oh, good but Lord. But even... It just shows how far we've come, but anyway... So this poor little 10-year-old is sent to quarantine away from her parents, her home, and everybody, mm. just her, well, not on her own. She was squished into a small room with six other girls. So even if you don't have it, you're going to catch it. Quote, there was one bathroom for 20 women. Oh. In the bathroom, there was one tub, no shower, two stools, and two sinks. Oh, my gosh. We never wandered the halls unless we told the nurses where we were going, so I did not associate with too many more of the residents. We knew there were men on the other hallway because we were never allowed on that end. We had to tell them when we wanted to go to the bathroom because we shared the bathroom with all the ladies on end of the hall. As I told you before, no shower, just a bathtub, two stools, and two sinks. Sometimes when I went to the bathroom, I would see blood in the sinks. I learned many things there, such as taking my own temp, my own pulse. We had to do this every day and sometimes twice a day. Once a month, they would stick a tube down my throat and bring up juices from my stomach to test for a live bug. They always came back negative. I never had TB. The third floor was for the severely mentally handicapped and for us to do our crafts. I do remember going up to the third floor and peeking in the window and seeing several old people in cribs with just diapers on oh no. crying and screaming oh the door was locked so we couldn't go in we were not allowed on the fourth floor except to wash our hair in the small bathroom and a nurse was with us at all times we were able to go to the roof by elevator and get some fresh air and sunshine and every once in a while the girls would lock me out and i would have to wait until the nurses would come looking for me or one of the girls felt sorry for me and let me in On top of the roof was a room that the elevator was in and a door to the outside, so I got wise after a while and never left the building, so I was close to the elevator. That was the only sunshine we got was when we went to the top. So her name was Mary, and her whole account is on that website, ghostsofnorthdakota.com. It's super interesting. Hmm. It's very sad, but it was very a very interesting read. Okay, so all this pain, all this sadness, fear and loss in this building has led to many haunting occurrences. Many times people have been seen sitting, staring out of the windows of the large sanatorium. Many investigators that have gone here express this sudden feeling of sadness, and some even just stop and cry upon entering the building. Oh my gosh. Some people have been hit or even pushed. Some feel sick, and others have an overwhelming dizzy feeling like they're going to pass out. I watched many YouTube videos and even Ghost Adventures went there. I didn't want to just give Ghost Adventures accounts. I like to see the amateur videos the most. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think we also like to hear your guys' personal stories the most because we can sit here and research and watch Ghost Adventures like everybody else. But when we get those personal accounts that I can't find on the internet, it's so much cooler. So P.S. Send us your stories. But... All of them reported feeling sad at some point in their investigation. Every single one of them. Mm. Like I said, the place was is privately owned. A few YouTube videos I watched showed people sneaking in through this like low ground level window. Mm -hmm. 
with this giant red arrow painted on the building <laughs> because all the doors are locked. And so right. somebody must have been like, this is how you get in. <laughs> but it's huge, too. So a lot of videos I watched on YouTube, people were getting lost while they were in there, like not like having trouble finding how to get out. And they've never gotten out. And they're still there today. <laughs> They just posted their video on YouTube. (laughs) So they all reported feeling sad, but the majority of them all also captured footsteps. And a lot of them even captured yells and sometimes cries. One guy in a video I watched called Abandoned Abandoned and Haunted Sanatorium kept complaining that a that a spiderweb effect was happening to his head. Yeah. And I mentioned this in the Patreon episode. That's right. Yep. But that's kind of what it feels like when a spirit touches you or something. It's just that feeling that you have a spider web stuck on your arm or your leg or your face or something. Just that but fluttery it's, Yeah, and you light. wipe and there's nothing there. And that guy, I've felt it a few times on a few investigations, but this guy just kept saying like, God, I keep feeling like I'm running into a spider web. It's like a static effect kind of a feeling. I feel that when I'm mowing sometimes. Probably because you are walking through a spider web. (laughs) Or there's a ghost helping you push the mower. I don't think so. (laughs) Anyway, it's a crazy feeling. I can't explain it any better than that, unfortunately. It's just something you have to experience yourself. So they show rooms like Mary explained in the letter in this video. They're obviously, it's all like dilapidated and peeling walls and everything, but they're really small rooms with one bathtub and one toilet. Jeez. And they get lost in this video, but they stumble upon the kitchen and the dining room area. It's all abandoned. It's abandoned places are so cool to me anyway, but just this big kitchen with all this big equipment. And then it just looks like a cafeteria and it's all just empty, empty. Yeah. So spooky. While they're in the dining area, the battery on the guy's light starts to die, which is sometimes a sign you just need new batteries. But (laughs) most investigators always start their investigation with new New batteries. batteries, Right. So they had only been in there for less than an hour. Spirits will use the the power from the batteries. And in the dining room, he believes this is what is happening. Leaving the dining room, he hears whispering ahead of him. He calls out to it. Hello? And he and his buddy keep hearing like more whispering and even like sliding footsteps. Oh, like but they slippers go and maybe? Just, yeah, exactly. And when they go, there's just, there's nothing. No animals, nothing. They also found like really old paper on the floor in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And they turn it over and it's old dinner menus. Oh, just my so gosh. Neat. I mean, that's such a, like, I hope they have that kind of stuff too in a museum somewhere. Because it is such a, it's a piece of history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they walk down a staircase because their batteries are being drained and they are lost and they're trying to find their way out. And <laughs> they're walking that big, down. Where's that big arrow we yeah. saw before? And they reach the bottom of the stairs and this loud grunt or moan is heard. Ew. And you can hear it on the camera. And the guy even has this font that comes up and he's like, I am not making this stuff up. I don't want to be famous. I'm all about like finding legit things. This was the loudest moan grunt i've ever heard and we captured it and it's one thing when you hear it yourself but when you capture it it's really cool because it backs you up that you're so not you share it. right <laughs> so you guys should watch the video it's really cool just to see all this stuff there's much more to the video but that was really creepy like it's one thing when ghost adventures captures this but when amateurs capture it right it's so cool other amateur videos i watched captured shadows 
more moans and footsteps and even some like crazy orbs another video with young boys they're like jumping around the old building yelling parkour parkour oh that's right that's right that's right that's right and he's jumping on the chairs yeah Yeah, it's michael scott from the office parkour parkour (laughs) so these teenage boys are all there's like probably seven of them Mm -hmm. and they're all just like jumping around this abandoned building like parkour parkour (laughs) that was really funny and entertaining but there was a creepy part where the guy with the camera and i saw it too but it looked like one of his friends he was with he was following and he followed into this small room off of the roof but then when he goes into the room there's nobody in there wait he's like followed his friend in there didn't he right and he goes whoa i wonder if the camera saw that i swear i thought carlos walked in here Mm -hmm. i thought i was following carlos in here but he's alone in this little room it's like this little room and you're catching all this on the camera yeah it's all on the camera and he's like and it looks like somebody walks in there. So then he goes over and walks in. It's in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. And he walks in there and there's nobody in the room. And he's like, hold on. I really thought I was following Carlos in here. Whoa. It was bizarre. My heat just kicked on. Sorry, guys. But it did get a little cold in here. Spooky. <laughs> so like I said, there were seven of these kids. And all at the same time, they're like walking down one of the hallways. And they hear this large crash. From way, I mean, this place is huge, way down the hallway where nobody was. Mm. And they all just are like, we're out of here. <laughs> parkour, out. <laughs> <laughs> parkour, parkour. <laughs> so I don't say this often, but this may be a place I don't have on my list to investigate. Not just because it's private or anything, but I'm kind of a sensitive. And just thinking about this location makes me feel really sad. Sad. Just, oh, yeah. I can't imagine if. I were to step foot in there, how I would feel. But, you know, people have brought some nasty things in there, too. Mm, but of course. I just, the building is just a shell of what it used to be. But thousands of people have died there. And I believe many of them still reside or haunt the sanatorium today. So nothing is being done with the building? No, it's just been left abandoned. Ever since the Chippewa tribe bought it, they just, I don't know if they're planning on turning it into anything, but... That would be expensive, too. It would be super expensive. Very expensive. Because it's up on the mountain, so... And it's it's a massive facility. And, of course, Zach found... He always has to make everything demonic. And there is a lot of proof that a lot of Satanists have done... Rituals. Rituals and things there. Well, that's the yuck stuff. The Ouija yeah. boards and the rituals yeah, yeah. and all the crap that people bring kind of in. Stuff. It's all there. And, like, he's interviewing some lady and they f- she finds a little hatchet in the grass. And he's like, well, that looks like something that's been used in satanic worship. Oh, good grief. And it's just this little hatchet. And, yeah, it could have been used in satanic worship. But so also could have been there. used to cut or it could have down a been, free yeah. branches. <laughs> but... Anyway, it's um, there's also a little cemetery there for babies oh. and it's just a lot of just sad. It's really sad. All right. North Dakota. Cacao. <laughs> You're supposed to cheer us up with the paranormal. <laughs> I know, I know. Shoot. Um, parkour. <laughs> parkour out. Well, before we end, just a little update on my cancer journey. I shouldn't call it that because I don't have cancer anymore. Nope. 
Um, See, we are cheering you all up. <laughs> so, yep, one step at a time. I um, had a double mastectomy, mm-hmm. and I am on the um, end now of doing uh, reconstruction. And that's a very, from what I now know, <laughs> didn't before, it's a long journey. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen overnight. So I will keep you guys updated because I'm going to the Kansas City Cancer uh, Medical Facility with the best doctors ever. And so, yes, I am popping in and staying over, probably overstaying my stay no. with Beth and Alex. I'm Obi happy and, to help you with Obi, Obi and I are hanging out. <laughs> I'm happy to have you and Obi. So anyway, thank you for the messages, the kind messages that you guys did send. And we're not going to dwell on it, but we will keep you updated every now yep. and then. But all is good. <laughs> Next week, we will be covering West Virginia. Oh, that's right. Yes. So I'm going to do my best to try to find pictures from the true crime that mom covered. And I'll post. Yeah, good pictures. luck. You're going to yeah. see pictures of a shed from where how it looks today. <laughs> and you're going to see pictures of an old house. That is it. I am so sorry, but that is it. I will do what I can. And I will post everything on our social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and our website, which is www.killerhangover.wordpress.com and we released for Halloween a full episode it was on paranormal it was on a real Beth did a paranormal investigation so she that was what our patrons got for Halloween I know guys it's five dollars a month join us there and patrons are also getting a little special gift in the mail here pretty soon so jump on board guys Join us there and you'll be getting a little goody yourself. Okay. All right. This was... <laughs> okay. All right. We're done. <laughs> this was uh, another good time spent with you, Mom. It sure was. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid. Parkour, Parkour out. out. <laughs> oh, gosh.